my countdown was off, but I started recording at the end of one. Welcome to part two of our, uh, well, not part two, I guess our second edition of our uh, intro to podcast. Um, today, we're talking about an artist that we haven't, uh, we haven't talked about very much on the podcast, but I think it's a hotly debated topic, at least between Shane and I. And I, I imagine, Kyle, you're probably going to get in, into this as well. So welcome, Shane, um, for joining me again for the second round of Intro 2 for Lupe Fiasco. And welcome, Kyle, who's been a guest on the, on the, on the show before for our Hip Hop Catalog discussion last year. So welcome back. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. This is, I appreciate it. I'm excited to talk about Lupe because I think a lot of people forgot about him. Me included. I, I, I definitely forgot about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, me too. Those, to me, I haven't listened. To, I didn't listen to a lot of the newer stuff before this, so it was a nice, uh, I guess, reintroduction for myself. Yeah, I would it's, agree. It's been a long time since he's been in the public. I, I don't know if it just hap- happens to coincide with the fact that we decided we were going to do a podcast, but like. He's been very active on social media with all of like the protesting and stuff like that going on. Um, so it seems like he resurfaced after not having heard about him for the last two years, I guess, since his last album came out in 2018. But he's got a new album on the way. Apparently, he sent it to Steph Curry. So Steph Curry is the only person in the world with the new Lupe Fiasco album right now. But we're going to talk a lot about Lupe's early days. We're going to talk about his career. We're going to talk about kind of our origins with Lupe Fiasco. Um and then we're just going to tackle some of the stuff that maybe you haven't heard of or maybe you have heard of over the course of his career. So, again, welcome Kyle. Welcome Shane. This is our intro to Lupe Fiasco. Uh, what up, y'all? Yeah. Soundtrack, what's poppin', baby? baby. Y'all ain't know. I go by the name of Lupe Fiasco. Why Steph Curry? Apparently they're boys. Like, they like... Steph loves Lupe, apparently. Oh, okay. Here's my yeah. thing. I think you need, if you're coming out with a hip-hop project, you have to screen it by somebody who's completely off kilter of who you think should listen to it. Kanye used Seth Rogen <laughs> and Aziz Ansari, and you have now Steph Curry, who's going to co-sign this album coming out. Yeah, I guess. That does make a lot of sense. I think it's crucial. I love that Seth Rogen was like, Jesus is great. And then he was like, Jesus is not what I heard in the car that he played for me drunk that one time. (laughs) (laughs) Still came out great. Still came out great, yeah. Okay, so who is Lupe Fiasco? Um, I have a – I'm a huge Lupe Fiasco fan, but I did kind of fall off um, the Lupe bandwagon about the time that Lasers was kind of going through its uh, controversy and, and, and everything that led up to Lasers' release. So I'm going to throw it out to you two first, how you guys heard about Lupe Fiasco, and then I'll kind of go into my history with them because I, I think I have a little bit more um, involvement with like just listening to his old radio show in Chicago and stuff like that. So I'll, di- I'll dive into that a little bit after. But Shane, I'll start with you. How did you get introduced to Lupe Fiasco, and what were some of the first things that you heard from Lupe? Oh, my intro to Lupe Fiasco came, I think... I was I was in high school. I want to say was I in high school? Um, Two thousand five. You probably would have been grade nine, grade ten. Yeah. So basically, it was it was like every white kid who um, kick push came out, and everyone's like, "Well, finally, a hip hop song about us." People, <laughs> and it really wasn't. But at that point, you had all these blinders on, and you thought, you know, what you thought. So I listened to Lupe a lot back then. Um, and loved that song. Um, I'll never forget missing Lupe Fiasco uh, when 
the glow in the dark tour came to town which I've talked about at length about my biggest regret in life is not going to the glow in the dark tour and uh my friends were downtown shopping at a drift and lupe fiasco was in there just shopping and they got a picture with him and i remember how angry i was that i was not downtown at a drift to see lupe fiasco it was one of my highest played albums the cool um for me the cool was was in heavier rotation than food and liquor was ever at any point i think the cool for me was my intro and my guiding light to uh to Lupe and everything that I loved about him. And then I went back to food and liquor and enjoyed that. But the cool just resonates a different way with me. And then lasers came out and then I fell off. It was just like, no, it's not for me. And then I listened to um, some later stuff and felt the same way, but more to come on that. So did you hear about, did you hear Lupe? What's the first song that you hear from Lupe? I'm sorry if I missed that. Kick push. Kick push, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then uh, I, I'll never forget the first time I heard "Daydream" by Lupe Fiasco. It was in grade ten drama class, and this guy used it for a monologue. And I thought that that song was like spectacular. Like I thought it was amazing, and it's my my favorite off of Food and Liquor. Still, really, today. okay, yeah, okay, I can respect that. Okay. Um, and then you haven't, so as you mentioned, you haven't really listened to him since then. I remember we were in a, we were coming back from a friend's wedding and we listened to Drogas Wave and it wasn't quite a, it wasn't quite a captivating road trip listen. It, I think it, it, it requires a lot of thought and it requires a lot of uh, um, dedicated listening to be able to maybe understand a little bit more about what he's talking about, but it's not nearly as like poppy or like, like out there. It doesn't have that Pharrell and like that, that punchy Kanye production that some of his earlier albums did. So. It's a little yeah. bit tougher to get into. Yeah, I think so. And and um, what was the uh, what's the album? There was the album that he came out with before Drogas Light, um, Tetsuo and Youth. Yes, I remember when that album yeah. came out. I listened to that actually a lot and thought, "Oh my God, Lupe's back!" And yeah. I remember messaging some friends and saying, "Like Lupe's back. Like listen to this album." And then Drogas came out, and then I was like, "Oh, maybe not." <laughs> Uh, Kyle, how about you? How about yourself? Uh, for me, uh, it's very much like Shane. Kick Push um, was, I guess, the introduction for Lupe for me. Um, wasn't I, I wasn't a huge fan of Food and Liquor. Obviously, respected it. I love the the hit singles um, that were the like the main singles from it. But um, I'd probably say I fell in love with Lupe probably around the cool. Um, Lasers, obviously, I just, like lasers. I fell off. I didn't really feel it was as good. I feel like he was trying to. It was. I feel like it was dated because I, I think that album was pushed back a few times by the by the label. So it, it just didn't really fit the time. I th- I feel, but overall, and after that, I I, I, I totally fell off until um, I guess we like you brought up the conversation to me and told me how this, uh, told me, but you guys want to review it on the podcast. So I went back and I looked through it and to be honest, I think Lupe just fell to the plate of conscious rap. Like just a lot of conscious rappers just don't hold, I guess that, that energy what they first had. So I feel like yeah, that might've contributed to me falling off, but I, I will say I've, I've really, really, really underrated Lupe after 2012 to, I guess, 2018 when he put out his last album because I don't think he was 
unlistenable. It's just, it's just heavy. It's a conscious rap. It's, yes. it's heavy. And especially like in today's day and age, what he's speaking about in terms of the stuff like the protests and all this kind of stuff that's happening. And I guess folks educating themselves on what's happening in the black community. Like Lupe been speaking to that from, I'd probably say food and liquor straight through like a little bit even on lasers and i just felt like it's not easy to digest like other music yeah i kind of i agree go ahead shane sorry i was just gonna say i think for me like the way that i view lupe fiasco is is almost like a cocktail like there's this well-rounded taste to it where it's like it's something that's so appetizing yet you still have the bite of liquor at the end of it so you listen to his earlier music and the production is great and his flow is great and the lyrics are great and then you actually listen to it and there's your bite that's the kind of like realization and eye-opening that you're listening to something that is weighted heavily on emotion and not something that's so easily digestible as something that you would listen to on top 40 radio and hip-hop at the time yeah he's uh Kyle, you and I kind of talked about it, and I'm glad we haven't got in depth about it. But like, I have a very strong opinion about why Lupe became—I'm not going to say unlistenable, but like, he had a very, very significant departure from the sound that made me a huge fan of Lupe Fiasco. Um, and we'll talk about that. I think either we'll dive into it a little bit today, and then maybe a little bit more on the deep dive. But it's definitely something that I think is worth giving a lot of attention because there is there there almost are two parts of his career. Like he's gone through some some substantial changes in the last. 10 years, let's call it 10 years since lasers came out. Um, but the first half of his career was so promising. And, and I think he was probably one of the best technical rappers. And I still maintain, I think he is one of the best technical rappers I've ever heard, but, but there are some changes in kind of his sound and the way that I think he's gone about approaching his, his records that has maybe not resonated as much as it did in his early works. So for me, I mean, Lupe, uh, my cousin, which I'm learning is pretty much a, a massive influence in all of my music and fashion tastes. I've, I've really just like, as I've listened to a lot of music in the last couple of months since we've been in isolation, everything that I've listened to, whether it be Little Brother or Lupe or uh, like when I started listening to Saigon and Papoose and a lot of underground rappers back in like the early 2000s, my cousin had a lot to do with that involvement. So he actually introduced me to uh, Lupe Fiasco via a song called Conflict Diamonds which was actually a freestyle over Kanye's Diamonds. Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I would highly, highly recommend listening to it. Um, and I think it's one of the best displays of his technical skill still to this day. Um, but I learned about Lupe Fiasco via my cousin. Um, he had a couple of mixtapes out at the time. He had the Fahrenheit 115 series. So part one, um, part two and part three. Part two, uh, I believe the title was Revenge of the Nerds. And part three was A Bathing Ape, which was a, a, a series of freestyles or reworkings of gorilla songs. So I was very much on the Lupe train well before uh, food and liquor had ever even had a title or had any idea of what it was going to sound like. But I, I love Lupe fiasco, man. Like he, he put out a lot of, um, of underground kind of, you know, freestyles and stuff like that, but he had a pretty good balance of original music as well. Um, I remember listening to revenge of the nerds and thinking that like mean and vicious and, and, uh, glory with, with, I think it was Cardinal Fischel was on that song, but there's, there's quite a few people, on that record that are artists that I had heard about before and I was a big fan of, and then he just kind of started to work with them. And then as I started to get into, uh, you know, kind of the, I guess the middle of high school or probably around the time that you started listening to him, Shane, um, food and liquor started to become a project that he was working on. 
obviously he had his kind of breakout feature on, on Kanye's touch the sky. So that was a really, really exciting moment for him to have his kind of coming out to, to, to the mainstream um, and, and watching him feature on that song and obviously having a video for it was amazing. So I, yeah, I mean, the reason I wanted to kind of do the podcast is I've been a huge Lupe Fiasco fan, but much like yourselves, I think after Lasers, there was just so much um, controversy and um, like stuttering and coming off of albums that were so strong, in my opinion, of Food and Liquor and The Cool to just kind of lose some of that momentum and have an album that was a dud in a lot of ways, or at least at the time I thought was a dud in lasers. It kind of sucked to, to know that he was kind of like the promised one. And then he just kind of fell off. And there's a lot that we can talk about that happened, I think between the cool and lasers. But I, I think that I very much share that same space as you guys. I remember Lupe Fiasco up until 2010. And then since 2010, Lupe Fiasco has kind of been this, yeah, I'll listen to it when I get a chance, but he's not really on the, on the high priority list when he, when he puts out a new record, even though, at one point in time, I would have been, you know, scrambling to hear the the, the newest Lupe song wherever I could have heard it. So um, it'll be interesting because I think I think you guys probably got into it maybe a little bit after myself. But I have a I, ha- I very much have a skewed opinion of, of who Lupe Fiasco is based off of all of the time that I kind of invested prior to him becoming the Lupe that I think is a little bit more outspoken and a little bit out there in the mainstream um, the way that he is today. So I think a good starting point. I mean, for us, we we've. I think Shane, you've listened to Revenge of the Nerds and Bailing Ape in like like sparingly. I don't think we've really gone in and listened to them fully. Kyle, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to to the Fahrenheit series, but if you have thoughts on it or or opinions on any of the records or all three or even individual ones, I really I really don't. I haven't listened to them in such a long time. Um, like all I know is from leading into leading into food and liquor and all those projects that that lupe put out i only discovered them in retrospect so i didn't listen to them in succession so i had already formed my opinion on lupe by the time that i heard those projects yeah for me i do recall going back and listening to revenge of the nerds but i don't like for me it it wasn't a, a big staple just because lupe wasn't like I just I wasn't fully invested on Lupe, uh, just because con- like conscious rap was never really my thing. I, I I love that gangster rap. I'm not gonna lie. When I was coming up, it was Nas, Fifty, the, the, a lot of New York rap, and that Chicago, like Talib Kweli, Most Def, Common type rap sometimes just didn't appeal to me. Now, as a wordsmith, from the very beginning till Drogba's wave, like the the it's there. The talent is there. Like it's undeniable from the very beginning. So, I, when it comes to Revenge of the Nerds, yeah, bars. That's all I could really say. When it comes to everything else, it's, it's forgettable. Okay, me, so so you talked about Food and Liquor a little bit earlier. We might as well jump it kind of into his de- debut here. Food and Liquor has a pretty much, it has a, a pretty storied history. So Lupe, um, used to run a. a, a a podcast or not a podcast, I guess it was a radio show. I'm so used to podcasts now, but he had a radio show in Chicago called uh, FNF radio. And this is something that I used to listen to on a weekly basis. He used to come in on Mondays, 8 PM or 9 PM Chicago time. I don't quite remember, but he used to really just play records and talk about kind of his, his thoughts going into what uh, food and liquor was. So I remember there was a reveal for when he got his Reebok like sneaker collaboration right before food and liquor came out and he actually announced food and liquor on that on that radio show 
Um, it had been pushed back for a number of years. Uh, well, not maybe for a number of years, but his debut was speculated upon for a number for a number of years. Um, he had made his mainstream debut again the previous year um, on Touch the Sky, which came out in 2015, and, and we didn't see Hood and Liquor come out until uh, 2016, I believe it was September 2016. Mm-hmm. But the album was originally supposed to come out in June, I believe it was June 27th, uh, and there was a leak of Food and Liquor on uh, on major forums at the time. And Lupe was pretty upset about it leaking out. He felt that it wasn't a complete body of work just yet. Um, there are some songs that had kind of alternate versions that were supposed to have made, I guess, the original cut of Food and Liquor that didn't quite make the final cut. So the most pronounced, I guess, would be uh, the song that we know as Pressure, leaked as a song called Trials and Tribulations, which didn't feature Jay-Z, didn't feature Gem- uh, Gemini on the hook. So it was just Lupe Fiasco. So he was understandably upset about his incomplete work kind of leading out, uh, leaking out there on the internet. Um, but some songs did stay uh, pretty true to what the leaks were. So songs like No Place to Go or As We Know It, Hurt Me Soul. Uh, Daydream was a part of that leak. Kick Push, Believe Kick Push 2 had leaked on that original record as well. So we had heard kind of the the idea behind Food and Liquor, but it didn't really become a fully formed thought until September of twenty of 2006. Um, I personally love Food and Liquor. And I, and I think part of that is just all that lead up that I just explained to you, like just kind of hanging on every song that he had released up until the album came out. Um, I'm kind of, I guess I I self-identified as a nerd when I was in high school. So like the idea of having like a 3DS on the cover and all this like Japanese, like, like cultural stuff on the cover, like that really resonated with me as just like a, as a geeky, like music nerd in, in, in ninth and 10th grade. So Lupe Fiasco, Lupe Fiasco meant a lot to me at that point in time, but I do really love food and liquor. Um, and for me, it, it stood the test of time. I think, you know, songs like Kick Push and stuff like that, like with the resurgence in skate culture this year, I think about Kick Push and I think about how relevant it could be today looking outside. And then in 2006, when, you know, the, the Nike SB Dunk was in its prime and we were seeing all kind of crazy, um, you know, skate culture really coming, rising to prominence at that point in time. So it almost came full circle. Um, and then there's some of my favorite Lupe Fiasco songs are actually on Food and Liquor, but um, you guys have some thoughts on it, obviously, as well. I know that it wasn't maybe your first entry into Lupe Fiasco, but your thoughts on food and liquor. I think for me, like food and liquor, I think it. I think Lupe, first of all, I think Lupe has the first or the best one-two punch in the beginning out of 99% of people in hip-hop. I think that his first two albums are amazing. I think I think the second album is better than the first album, the cool better than Food and Liquor. But on Food and Liquor, my thoughts of, of Food and Liquor are I, I agree one hundred percent it stands up to the test of time. Um I think Kick Push, like I said, is an amazing song. Um I think when you really listen to Kick Push you do realize it isn't about skate culture. Um and I believe Lupe said that he wasn't a skateboarder um in any sense when he when he was doing Kick Push. Um but the imagery and the, the picture that it draws and the narrative he tells is so complete. And that's the thing about Lupe is throughout this album, it's a narrative. And the narrative that he tells is so succinct and so stylistically done. Like, I, I have a very controversial opinion. I want to say that Lupe Fiasco was Chicago's Kendrick Lamar before Kendrick Lamar came to town and, and rapped pre- Again, pre-lasers. I think it's the same quality in storytelling and the same ability to tell about 
or talk about where he came from and Chicago as a city, as Kendrick Lamar has been doing recently, um, coming up from Compton and what that looks like. Um, so it's, and he did it in such a stylistic way to apply to so many people who could not necessarily uh, be on board with a lot of the mainstream hip hop artists that were happening then, like you said, Daniel, with, uh, you know, like a 3DS on the cover and, you know, all the anime references. And like for me, Daydreaming is, is again, my favorite song on that album and quite like in my top three Lupe songs of all time. And that is really like uses a lot of imagery from Iron Giant, which is, is crazy when you think about it, that a hip hop artist in that period of time came out with something that is so, you know, out of, out of the norm when it comes to, to a hip hop album and still is able to put everything to together so well that when you go back and listen to it, you know, what are we 14 years later, the album still is put together so tight and so Chris, the only thing is, I feel like it emotionally is such a draining album to listen to. It's something that is like, it's necessary. Like it's necessary to listen to it. It's, it's not something that you just want to bump and like, you know, rhyme along to. It's something that you have to actually listen to and understand. And I think um, doing that requires a huge deposit and withdrawal of, of emotion when listening to it. At least for me, that's my thoughts on Food and Liquor. Well, I actually have a take that's a little different than both of your, uh, both of you guys. Um, for me, I feel like I feel like food and liquor is. I think we get caught up in nostalgia with it. I don't think it's. As, I don't think it really holds up as well as um, other albums of its time. Now, not to say it's not good. Uh, I'm not trying to say that, but in terms of, I found myself wanting to skip tracks. Um, cause I just got bored. Uh, but I would say food and liquor does have some of his best hits. Um, but there is a lot, I feel like there's, there's some fluff in between. If it's, if you're looking for more than a guy to preach to you, cause like Shane said, it's, it's heavy. I think, I think very much so I, you can't, I can see the, 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 relation between him and Kendrick I guess for me and having a lot of older hip-hop influences and seeing what Chicago was Chicago's a hotbed for conscious rappers so that like Lupe came out and he was Chicago uh, very much so like when we see an, uh, an Atlanta artist come out today and he sounds like Young Thug or 21 Savage or I guess a little earlier, Luda Ti, it it he fits that mold of Chicago, um, and I think he was the last of a dying breed because I feel like after Lupe, uh, the next best thing we got from them was uh, Chief Keith <laughs> in terms of <laughs> drill rap and things like that, and that's like the whole narrative of Chicago rap changed. But I would say with with Food and Liquor, it has some of his best songs like Daydreaming, uh, Kick Push. Uh, and I'll have the track list in front of me. There's, let me pull it up here. Um, to have a Jay-Z feature on your first album as well is like, that's mind blowing because you don't see that today. Um, and the cool. Uh, I feel like, yeah, the, overall, a uh, lot of great tracks, Emperor soundtrack, but 
I found myself I found myself bored at times. More so, hey, look when you get to that second album, and that second album's bumping front to back. No matter, like you're just in it. It's a it's a visceral experience for me in terms of the second album. I think one thing for Lupe is like we we're talking about food and liquor right now. Food and liquor got met with like a, a substantial amount of hype behind it because you mentioned a Jay Z feature on the first album. Jay-Z wasn't invested in First and 15 Records or Atlantic Records, which is what this album was released under. He actually executive produced this album. Yeah, so Jay-Z's that. stamp of approval on this record spans more than just that feature on on uh, on um, Pressure. He was advocating for Lupe Fiasco, as I think a lot of people were advocating for Lupe Fiasco around that time. You know, yeah, Kanye he got West. He got the Jay-Z co-sign very early, even yeah, without it, even being on Def Jam. Which is crazy because Jay-Z doesn't really have any involvement in Lupe's career past Food and Liquor. But obviously Food and Liquor was a work uh, of music that that, uh, that Jay-Z really stood behind. How much of that was influenced by Kanye West and Kanye West getting, um, you know, putting Lupe Fiasco on in a certain sense with Touch the Sky and with, uh, you know, introducing him to the world with that feature, with that music video. Um, and even, you know, we've kind of grazed over it, but in the same era of time, Lupe, Kanye, and Pharrell had a supergroup in CRS that was formed that really never really came to fruition, but they released that Tom York uh, sampled song together. Yeah. And then, and then Lupe, they, the three of them actually came together again for Good Fridays, which would have been, I guess, five years after Food and Liquor, but it kind of went radio silent after that for one reason or another. It's upsetting that that, tr- that trio really never came to, to release a record together because I think it would have been such a a perfect moment. But I also think it might have just been the apex of all of their careers, like meeting in that middle. That's when Kanye obviously was very into um, Japanese culture with, you know, what we saw in graduation, Pharrell, same thing, you know, working with Babesa and stuff like that. And then Lupe obviously being very fascinated with not only samurai culture, but also with um, just some of the, the geekier things that we talked about that appear on his album. It was kind of this perfect meeting point. And then I think since then we've seen the three of them take very, very different trajectories. So I think it might've had to have happened in 2007 and then it didn't happen in 2007, but even if we got a CRS album today, I, I doubt it would be the CRS that we all envision that would have been, um, you know, 13 or 14 years ago. So it's, and we, and, and, and we've never seen Jay-Z co-sign an artist that wasn't signed to him. I think before or after that moment. Uh, no. Cause I think about the artists that he did co-sign. So True Life was a Rock Nation signee. Uh, he was Cole, yeah, Rock Nation. Uh, I guess Kendrick to a certain degree, but I think Kendrick, he didn't executive produce him. I think TDE very much had their own thing going on, and Jay-Z yeah. was, he's complimentary to that. You know, we heard the Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe remix, and I think they complement each other very well on that song. But it's never with the same overarching <laughs> focus that, uh, that I think he had on this record. I think Kendrick showed and proved to get that whatever relation with Jay first, I think it was a respect thing seeing what he did did from LA and just, I think you seen him do that, but a guy who I guess in mainstream market hasn't done anything and Jay's like, I'm going to executive produce your first album and had a heavy hand in him getting the record deal after I think he was, I think he got a a record deal and got dropped when LA Reed got fired. Um, from wherever he first signed to before he went to Atlantic, and I think Jay had a big hand in that. So it, it was just it was interesting that you we've never seen that before. Like I guess the Michael Jackson of that genre reaching back to help I guess a young lyricist on the come up. 
And I think it's crazy because Jay-Z was also the president of Def Jam at the time. So to, yeah. to have your stamp of approval on something that your direct record label that you're responsible for has no real involvement in, like that's a huge it's not like Jay-Z today where he runs Rock Nation, which is fairly independent and obviously he has a ton of business ventures. This is Jay-Z when he was the head of Def Jam Records and was signing Nas and the roots and stuff like that to come aboard. So it's a very different Jay-Z than I think we know right now. Um, but yeah, it can't be understated how, how big of a, of a, of a statement that was for Jay-Z to, to really get behind Lupe Fiasco early on in his career. And I'm not too sure if, I think that was actually one of the first business ventures within hip hop we seen after the black album from Jay before he decided to come back with kingdom come. It would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it would have been 2005 Jay-Z yeah, black album came out November, I think 2013, uh, sorry, 2003. 03? So yeah. Yeah. Not that far removed. Um, anyway, so, I mean, we can wrap up talking about food and liquor cause we're obviously going to dive uh, a lot deeper in, in the deep dive, but, uh, standout tracks from you guys that were either singles or, or things that were maybe a little bit more publicized. I talked about kick push. Uh, another big single off this record was the Pharrell produced. I gotcha. Um, which I think was a pretty big, uh, song when it, when it did come out Pharrell, obviously the Neptune's very, very big in the mid, um, 2000s. So that was a, that was a, a pretty big song. And then daydream, which you mentioned Shane. Uh, which is a standout track as well. Those are, I believe, those are the three singles that came from that album. Yeah. Um, but I think some other songs did get videos later on. Just might be okay. I actually got a video in 2015, almost nine years after the album came out. So, uh, but yeah, those would be my standouts. I definitely have standouts that are deeper cuts on the album. My favorite Lupe Fiasco song is on this album, but I will save that for the deep dive. Um, but for you guys, any standouts, either 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 singles or otherwise, that you think are maybe a little bit more on the accessible side that people can jump into and listen to from food and liquor daydreaming <laughs> daydream as well okay. uh, the, the emperor soundtrack i'll probably say the emperor okay soundtrack. yeah it just might be okay is good i think cool i like it's not a it's not one of the more popular songs but i think the cool is super important i'm gonna do my best segue here the cool is super important to understand his next album which is titled the cool and he tells the story on the cool of my cool young history or Michael Young, um, which is which is basically the basis for the story that he's going to tell on the cool. So the cool came out uh, just a little bit over a year after the the food and liquor debut album that came out. Um, it was a, a fairly dark album in contrast with food and liquor. Um, food and liquor, you know, had some some very very light production. It had a lot of um, I would say pop his popular songs are on there. Songs like I Gotcha and Just Might Be Okay that are uplifting, that are a little bit more inspirational. The Cool kind of does away with most of those songs. There are a couple on there in, in Paris, Tokyo and High Definition. But for the most part, this album really seeks to expand the story that he tells on The Cool. Um, and he tells it from a couple of different perspectives. But just to give a little bit of background, Lupe um, had a lot of tragedy in between Food and Liquor and The Cool. Um, his, I believe, uh, Chili, who was behind First and Fifteen Records, which was what the the uh, album came out under under Atlantic Records, he was imprisoned, and so there's a song on uh, The Cool called Free Chili, which is dedicated to Chili. And then I think there was a moment where I think his father passed away right before the record came out as well, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just gonna fact check myself here. Uh, yes. So his father passed away from type two diabetes 
and Chile was convicted of attempting to supply heroin to a drug ring and eventually sentenced to 44 years in a correctional facility. So there was a lot going on between Food and Liquor, which was a, a very forward-thinking, I think, inspirational album in a lot of ways. Um, and I think uh, The Cool reflects where he might have been mentally over that year and a half. So Shane, you mentioned The Cool being kind of your first foray and what made you kind of go back. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on The Cool first. Then Kyle, you can go ahead and share your thoughts on The Cool as well. Well, first of all, The Cool has like my ultimate one of my ultimate love songs on it which is paris tokyo so good uh it's like it's the song for me that inspired me in a lot of ways like romantically so i love the idea of that song i think it's great and yeah i think this album front to back is again it's not like he nerfed his message on some of these songs but they are more digestible and it is something that you can play without investing so much emotion into it and the album has like you can pick singles out of it it's easily the most versatile lupe fiasco album that i think would apply to the most palettes out there of people who are listening like listening to this front to back um but also i feel like it it's the one it's again one of those albums where he makes reference to a lot of things that people weren't necessarily making references to. I think this was on the advent of backpack rap, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, you have, um, which song is it? Gold watch where he's just rapping about all the brands that he loves. And that for me was one of the moments where, you know, I still see brands to this day. And all I think of are, those songs like rag and bone jeans and maharishi sandals like he's rapping about these different brands that he likes from a different area in the world that would never really break through i think hip-hop as eloquently as it as it did i mean you had pharrell doing it with his focus on bapes and uh, bbc and things of that nature as it was coming in but you also had Lupe on that forefront as well, talking about all these brands that were Japanese imports uh, and different things that he liked. So the album for me really shaped a lot of a lot of who I was at the time and, and a lot of the music that I appreciated. Um, and this is kind of where you see a lot of his future, like people that he features on his album. You see them a lot on this album and then later they keep making appearances throughout his catalog. So it is kind of like the the basis for that, I find. Uh, but I th again, I think I think the cool is Lupe's best uh, best album, in my opinion. You mentioned uh, I'm gonna just really quickly weigh in just to give some context. He actually uh, talks about we I think we talked about this, but um, on the outro to Food and Liquor, he thanks a bunch of like brands and people that have supported him. A lot of like skate shops and like and fashion um, like boutiques and stuff like that all around the world. That part that. I guess, contributed to his taste at that point in time. So he called out like Y3, which is obviously a brand that's pretty prominent right now. But 15 years ago, like I had no idea what Y3 was. So Lupe was very much ahead of his time, I think, in a lot of ways. And we're kind of still catching up. Like it feels like I'm listening to stuff now. And maybe this is where some of his relevance really hasn't faded with me is that stuff that I feel like we maybe Shane, you and I, and Kyle, I'm sure you to a certain extent as well. We appreciate them now, but not necessarily, you know, when we were a little bit younger and we didn't necessarily know what all of these different brands or where he was visiting or what his, you know, 
what his tastes were at that point in time. But there's a lot of that. Like it's, it underlies a lot of what he talks about on a lot of his music. And it's just crazy to me that like, you think about culture now and mainstream, you know, fashion, but as well as music and how much of that he was talking about over a decade ago, it's, it's pretty impressive that he was that ahead of the curve. What going this, this experience of actually going back and going through his whole catalog, it almost makes me feel like Lupe is like a prophet in a way. Cause it's just like, he was telling us, like you for for a lot of folks who probably didn't know the culture or whatever he was very much upfront with the culture and shared the things that he loved i guess about the culture and also didn't like track 13 dumb it down to i guess what a lot of the masses would do to get their music played he still kept that he was still true to self as like I, I always, like I've been labeling him as a conscious rapper. He got the bars out, but he still kept us very much engaged through production and through great hooks. And yeah, I, I would agree with Shane wholeheartedly. His his best album. I think it's just like uh, like a like that athlete when they get into that second or third year and they're just they just look like they've been doing it for years. And like yo, you were born to do this thing. Like that's what the cool felt like to me. Yeah, I think as much as I uh, as much as I love Lupe Fiasco's Food and Liquor, uh, Lupe Fiasco's The Cool, I do think is a more complete um, album. It tells a story for the for me for the two of you. You know how much I like uh, you know an underlying narrative on, on an album and how sequencing and, and mixing and all that kind of stuff really really plays into what I, I love about records. And I know that not everybody loves that. I think you know some some people will prefer to have as many good songs as you can on as concise of an album, which I think is what Food & Liquor um, was more of. I think there was a story underlying Food & Liquor, but it was a little bit more sporadic in the way that it tackled some of those themes. Whereas The Cool is very intentionally sequenced to tell an, an, a rising and then a downfall um, of, of you know Michael Young that we find out about on The Cool on, on Food & Liquor. Um, and, it, and it does feel very much like everybody that participates in that album is there for a specific intent and purpose, right? Like he's got some of his FNF crew on the album. He's got Sarah Green. He's got Gemini. He's got Bishop G on Little Weapon. Um, so, so some lesser voices that aren't as prominent, obviously, as Jay-Z and Kanye West and Pharrell, but actually fit the narrative of what he's telling on The Cool a lot better. So I agree with you guys. I think, I think The Cool is Lupe's best album. I don't think it has um, maybe punch for punch some of his best songs in the way that Food and Liquor does, but I think it's a complete work. Uh, the cool works more uh, cohesively as, as a body of work than, than Food and Liquor does. And Shane, you mentioned some of the songs that are kind of standouts. Like Paris Tokyo is, is great. Um, it's a very Tribe Called Quest feeling song, that that snare and that and that kick. It, it very much calls back to, to backpack rap of the 90s and I think a lot of what he was inspired by. Um, but I, I also think that one of the things that held together his catalog so well early on in his career is the fact that he worked with the same producer. And this is kind of a peek into what I was talking about with you, Kyle. Soundtrack and Pro, um, for the most part, tackle the, the, the workload of production on the first two albums. And one of the things that, that consistently surprises me about Soundtrack is Soundtrack produced a lot of the cool the cool doesn't sound like it would have been produced by a lot of the same producer. It's very cohesive, but there's yeah. so many different sounds and there's so many different styles that are tackled on this album that if you told me it was one producer doing a lot of that, I, I wouldn't see it. And I think that that is where we start to see Lupe struggle a little bit more is that he very much is at his best production wise when he's with soundtrack. 
when we start to get into lasers in some of his later works, less so Tetsuo and Youth. But when you listen to Lasers and and, and Food and uh, Food and Liquor Part Two, the Great American Rap Album, of uh, soundtrack isn't as prominently featured as a producer. And I think that that's when you start to break that mold of of uh, of being a well-rounded artist that has technical skill, has a message, and has some really, really great production to back all of that, which makes it digestible and something that's accessible, even though the themes might be a little bit more um, tough to tackle, to the point where, you know, when he gets later on in his career, it does feel a little bit more preachy because the punch of production or maybe the way he's approached writing or, or a hook don't resonate the same way that they do on songs on the cool that, that still have a message behind them, but they just don't seem as preachy, preachy. Like Superstar to me has a message, but if you hear Superstar later on in his career, I don't know if it would have the same, like, I don't know if it'd have the same appeal as just as, as an individual song rather than feeling like Lupe is kind of preaching a topic to you. I don't, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but that was definitely something that I found listening to his complete work till now that just didn't, like, I, I know why I loved his early work so much more now. And it actually has a lot of it has to do with the cohesiveness of his production. If you are what you say you are, a superstar, then have no fear, the camera's here, and the microphones, and they wanna know, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. Like, I, I think if he released Superstar later in the career, and it's not surrounded by other like the other songs on that album, you're going to have that kind of, I think that lends to the lasers effect for me with Lupe. Like I even think like superstar on this album is not one of my favorite songs. I think it's one of the most played songs and people play it all the time. But to me, I do not necessarily enjoy it as much as I enjoy. I would much rather listen to gold watch. I would much rather listen to high definition. I would much rather listen to streets are on fire. Um, that's the Lupe that I enjoy and superstar is great on this album and I wouldn't take it off this album. But if I was listening to superstar on its own and you in a blind listening, I would say that it's, it's a precursor to what we see on lasers where you don't have Lupe working in his element. He's trying to mold what he's doing to what popular music is, at least in my opinion. Kyle thoughts. I think, well, I agree. I agree with what Shane just said because I really did feel like after this, you did you did feel, I guess, him just trying to conform to what's happening in music. I guess chasing hits and whatnot. I feel like with the cool, I don't, I don't know if I'll agree with you, Dan, in terms of the production. Like the change of production gives a different type of style of Lupe. I really just feel like after. After the cool, it just felt like he he felt like he had to he was he, he had a role to fill within hip hop from a conscious standpoint because of the state of hip hop. And then by the time Lasers comes back around, everybody's releasing great music again because from like oh six to two thousand ten was that hip hop is dead time where yeah you're getting a lot of ringtone ringtone rappers and the Soldier Boys are are blowing up and like that's the kind of music that we're getting and i feel like when the cool came out the cool was it it was palatable conscious rap because if you if you go if you tell somebody to go listen to a common album today 
they're probably not sitting through it the same way as they would. I don't know, like a, a, an album that would have a, you would have more fun listening to. But my counter argument, I think my counter argument to that is, if I think about a palatable common album, the most palatable co- common album, B, like Water for Chocolate, Dilla heavily influenced on on like Water for Chocolate, Kanye obviously handling most of the production on B. If you listen to albums like Black America again, or um, even Finding Forever to a certain degree, which was produced by Common, but but or Universal Mind Control is another perfect example, like. His production, I think, is a is a good offsetter because very similar to even what Jay Z, what happened with Jay Z with Blueprint, when you get somebody that I think complements what you're saying, and and you might be able to not necessarily dumb down your message, but change your delivery so that it's more palatable in a more commercial way, but the message still is strong. Um, I think that makes a world of difference, and I think that that's what's you know when I think about rappers like Nas, Common. Guys that, that that are very clearly the 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 ancestors of what Lupe is trying to do with his music. Nas's best albums to me are the ones that had production that complemented something that he had to say. You know, like Stillmatic to me, amazing album, and he had a lot of Salam Remy producing on that album. Um, some of his weaker projects are ones where you know he had something to say, but his beat doesn't quite complement what it is that he's trying to, you know, he, he's a great technical rapper, but unless you have that, that underlying soundscape, that's going to really bring it out and make it be a little bit more accessible. It's always going to feel like it's, it's a little bit laborious to kind of listen to it because it's not going to feel like it's, it's very, uh, I don't, I don't want to say fun to listen to, but it doesn't feel as accessible. I, I hear you. And, but I think the difference is with like, let's say someone like Nas, Nas is putting out whatever he, the damn well he wants to put out, no matter how it sounds, where I feel like, Lupe very much looked like outside of the cool. Listen to like late, like listen to lasers the most. Like I guess this would apply to lasers the most. It feels like he's trying to put together, like he's following the formula of how to make a rap album, right? How do I put this together in a way to find success, right? But then when you release at the same year as Watch the Throne, and uh, I think. I can't remember who else came out that year with, with lasers. You have like, there was a lot of good music <laughs> that came out. I think 2000, it was 2011, um, which obviously you just, you, you're not going to be able to hold weight when you're competing with obviously some giants, but I just, I just feel like a lot of Felipe after the cool is, is forced. He's following, he's trying to follow. It felt like he was trying to follow a stencil on how to make a good rap album, how to make a good commercial rap album. Sorry. I think, uh, I mean, let's, let's jump into the cool. I mean, let's jump into lasers right now. Cause there's obvious, I think this is probably the most storied of his albums and probably deserves the most attention in terms of talking about it just from its background, but also the actual music on the album, just to kind of put a, a bookend on the cool. Um, obviously we talked about some of our favorite standout songs, superstar for me as just a first single. I think it, it, it did kind of stand out. It's still something that I go back to, um, from time to time, but hip hop saved my life is another big, uh, song on this album that, that I, that I really love. I listened to today actually on the way to us recording this podcast, Shane, you mentioned Paris, Tokyo and high definition, uh, Kyle, any, any, uh, any standouts that are more single or maybe a little bit more accessible from this album that you would jump into uh, with, with lasers, <laughs> Uh, cool. Sorry. Oh, with the cool. Oh, yeah. Um, I would probably say Little Weapon, uh, Love Dumb It Down, uh, and probably Put You on Game. Those are those those are three that I always 
like when they when they come on, like yeah, I it takes me back to that time. Okay, dumb it down. I forgot. Yeah, that was a single as well. I remember the video for that yeah. song. Um, yeah, we'll tackle more of that because "Little Weapon" is is another one of my favorite Lupe songs. But I do think that just everything that it talks about, um, I think it it deserves a little bit more attention. So let's jump into that because I think there's really some great stuff to unpack on that song. It was also produced by uh, Patrick Stump of Fall Out Boy, so. It kind of stands out. I think Travis Barker did the drums on that song as well. So there's quite a bit of a, of a story behind that song, but we'll tackle that on the on the deep dive. Um, but as for Lasers, so Lasers, we've talked about it being kind of this dividing point of his career. Lasers, for those of you that don't know, um, is a very, very kind of, I guess, widely debated album in terms of why it turned out the way that it did. Um, it was something that was in initially... Lasers was supposed to be a triple album called LUP End, which Lupe had announced, I think, around the time that The Cool had come out, or he had kind of set out a framework very similar to Kanye with Graduation Good-Ass Job and all the the college theme of albums. He wanted to do a triple album called LUP End. LUP End uh, was supposed to be his last record, um, but the contract that he had with Atlantic Records, I believe, prevented him from doing it that way. So he had to postpone it. And then essentially wanted to do uh, an album called The Great American Rap Album. Again, we hear that title again later on in his career. But we eventually landed on a title called We Are Lasers, which was, again, shortened to Lasers over the two years that we were waiting for this album. Um, And then it became a pretty kind of hotly debated album because it was something that um, seemed to have gotten a lot of influence from Atlantic and trying to push a little bit of a different Lupe fiasco. And I think some of the songs that we're going to talk about on this album really do um, reinforce that idea of it maybe being a little bit more of a label-driven album. Lupe uh, did talk about the release of the album after it had come out and 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 said that you know he's happy with the music that, that came out on the album, but there's a lot of, um, I guess, background conversations and things that happened with the label that kind of sour, sour it for him to a certain degree. To me, this, this album... It sounds like two different records because I think there is glimpses of what Lupe Fiasco wanted to do with LUP End. Um, and I think there are uh, breadcrumbs of what would have been an album that didn't have any intervention by the label. And then there's another half of this album that seems like it would have been very heavily intervened on by the label in songs like Out of My Head with Trey songs, I Don't Want to Care Right Now, a lot of the punchier, poppier songs. But if I go back and I listen to Lasers now, uh, it I do like songs on Lasers. I actually don't think it's Lupe Fiasco's worst album in a lot of ways. Um, Letting Go, Words I Never Said, which is okay. I don't love it, but it's okay. Uh, Till I Get There, I think, is awesome. Um, the Show Goes On was a great first single, I think. Beautiful Lasers I enjoy a lot. Uh, State Run Radio, Break the Chain, All Black Everything. There's a couple songs on this album that I think with different songs in the mix could have made a lot more of a cohesive statement and actually might've been a more enjoyable album and also truer to who Lupe Fiasco set out to be with food and liquor and with the cool. But instead what we get is kind of this halfway, we get some of his more conscious songs and letting go and, and, and beautiful lasers and all black everything, but it's balanced out with songs that just don't feel like they fit Lupe's aesthetic up until this point songs like coming up and, I don't want to care right now. Like I just like whenever I hear them, I don't think Lupe Fiasco. I think a, a, a beat and a hook that were sent to Lupe Fiasco by a label, and we're basically, uh, you know, 
necessitated to appear on this album so that he would have a little bit more commercial appeal. In fact, I think there's something out there that says that uh, Out of My Head was not made for Lupe Fiasco. In fact, it was supposed to be given to B.O.B. And then it was actually given to Lupe Fiasco as his label mate as the first single because B.O.B. had another song on his album featuring Skylar Gray and another artist. I think it might have been Airplanes. Um, and so it was given to, to Lupe Fiasco instead. So your thoughts on it? Because there's a lot of story behind it, but there, there, I could go into this and we'll talk about it on the deep dive a lot more, but that's kind of my over overarching viewpoint on lasers. I actually don't think it's, it's as bad as a lot of people make it out to be. Yeah. I, I didn't know that point about BO that, uh, the, the one song that, um, that you said was actually written for BOB. It actually does feel like a BOB song. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> like it, yeah. That's crazy. Um, for me, I think lasers is not, is not as bad as, as the rap that it gets. It just came out as at an unfortunate time. Um, like when you come out the same year as, and I have it here, Watch the Throne, Take Care, Cold World, The Carter Four, you're gonna be forgettable that year, yeah. <laughs> all right. And then you don't go, you don't actually. You got nominated that the album got nominated for a Grammy, if that's worth anything. But then you're going up against My Dark Twisted Fantasy, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Watch the Throne, uh, Pink Friday, and also the Carter the Carter four. So it's, it, you're coming at a time, like it came out at a time, which is a turn in music. So to have like a label driven album at that time, I think that's probably what contributed to him kind of falling by the wayside. If you ask me. There's only two ways. kind of suck too is, is the two lead songs that were supposed to come out on this i'm gonna go back to my production bit because i really do i feel very strongly about this point shining down was the first single which featured matthew santos which uh, uh was on a couple of songs on the previous two albums i think he was on american terrorist and he was on superstar which we just talked about produced by soundtrack was the first single uh never made the final cut for the album neptunes produced a song uh, I'm Beaming, second single for the album, also never made the final cut for this album. If you put I'm Beaming and Shining Down on this album and you take out some of the songs that I think I talked about a little bit earlier, I think you actually do get a more well-rounded album. Does it win album of the year? Absolutely not. Nothing's beating by my my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy that year. Like I I don't know if you guys have any counter argument to that, but I don't think there's I don't think there's anything that could have toppled that. I think Good Kid Mad City probably was the closest album time wise that came out close to it that may have given it a run for its money, but even that was two years later. But I do think just looking at it as a Lupe Fiasco project, if the songs that were intended to be used on this album actually appeared on it and it was sequenced a little bit differently and some of the filler was taken off, you actually do get an album that is worth listening to and going back to maybe six, seven years later, or at least deserved a little bit more attention um, or a little bit more acclaim than it really got when it came out. But 
unfortunately, whether it was label intervention or whether it was Lupe Fiasco deciding that it wasn't the right fit for the record, two songs that I, I really do love going into the Lasers era just aren't included on the album for some reason. Um, Shane, you you mentioned uh, Lasers being the worst Lupe Fiasco album, but are there any redeeming points on this or is it only negative? No, yeah, I think, again, I think I'm Beaming is a great song. I think Shining Down is a great song. and They make it as bonus tracks on a later version of the album, later release. Um I don't want to care right now. Like, if you tell me that these aren't Lupe Fiasco songs, and they're just songs that are going to play on the radio while I'm listening to Z103, then yeah, I like a lot of these songs. <laughs> but if you are telling me like this is Lupe, and I'm coming off of the cool, and then I listen to this, and I get that artists pivot and they want to make something different, and you have a and. I know we keep drawing parallels to Kanye and stuff like that because another Chicago rapper or, you know, we talk about Common, but Kanye continually shifts his music and changes the outlook, like changes the DNA of it to push ahead times. But he tries to get ahead of the curve. I feel like this album is, even though it's recorded over two years and released, you know, two years later in 2011, um, the album comes out and it feels like it's just trying to fit into what, again, what, they think hip hop is now being that conscious rapper where he thinks there's no marketplace for it. Like I know I, I read up on it and I know he has, um, you know, he had some issues while he was making the album and he says that he hated the process of making the album. So that's yeah. why he feels so, so about it. You know, he dealt with depression and all that jazz, but this album to me is my least favorite Lupe fiasco album 100 percent. there so one one other thing kyle i'm going to go back to this again i'm sorry to, to harp on the production point there is one song two songs on this album that were produced by producers that he had worked with prior so the buchanans produced all black everything which i think is an excellent song on this album and the needles produced or sorry needles produced till i get there which is another one of my favorite songs on this album Every other producer on this album has had never worked with Lupe Fiasco in the past. So we see King David uh, producing four song soundtrack, not featured anywhere on this album. Neptunes, nowhere to be seen on this album. Um, and then the rest of the album is just kind of a who's who of producers that I think were popular around uh, the time that this album came out. Like if I look at uh, Kane Beats, who produced The Show Goes On, produced... Uh, right above it for Lil Wayne, produced Super Bass for Nicki Minaj, produced uh, Reverse Cowgirl for T Pain, Bedrock by Young Money featuring Lloyd. Yeah, for- that's a bop though. He, he's, <laughs> that's the truth. His his production is like like the this all of those songs came out between 2009 and 2012, and then he hasn't produced anything since 2014, and that was a Nicki Minaj song featuring Skylar Gray. I really really do think that. If Atlantic had an agenda, if you look at the production side of this alone, Alex DeKid was also huge at that time with producing Airplanes. Um, and I think he had produced a song for Eminem, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been uh, off of Recovery. Yeah, yeah. Love the Way You Lie. Yeah, so another yeah. number one song. I really do think that it, that they tapped into these producers to think these are guys that are doing a lot to make yeah. other artists popular at this point in time. Let's utilize them and try to get them on the Lupe Fiasco train. And I just read up a little bit more on the production side for B.O.B. Lupe apparently was uh, offered uh, airplanes 
and uh, who? Ooh, sorry, nothing on you and airplanes. He had initially recorded a version of those songs, and then both songs are rejected by Lupe Fiasco's label. So if Lupe takes on nothing on you or airplanes, and that features on lasers, I wonder how much create how much more creative freedom he gets outside of uh, outside of what he had on this album because nothing really hit the way that those two songs did. No, there was really no hit on this album, but obviously B.O.B. made a career out of Nothing On You and um, Airplanes and was a huge hit as well. And Flat Earth. B.O.B., Bobby Ray. Where Flat is B.O.B. right now? That's Bobby Ray. He's still making right music. Is he? Okay. Yeah. Is he still on Atlantic? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. So yeah, that it's hard. It's hard for me to get past that. I know. I know you don't entirely agree with the Kyle, but I look at this production list and I'm just like, man, this this is so far from everything that's led to Lupe being a successful artist to this point. It bothers me and it really irks me. I guess. I guess in hip hop, I guess the hard part that's that the, the part that I'm finding hard to agree. Sorry, is the fact that I've ne- we've never seen someone with f- bars like like there's no question about his rap ability. And production is what holds him up. Hmm. Hey, can, can you name another rapper where, where, where that's the case? Where the I rap guess, was not the question? <laughs> I think Nas. Nas is a legend, man. Nas, like, after, I know. After hip hop is dead, Nas is allowed to put out whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But just think about money if he wants. But not even up to hip hop is dead. So if you think about Nas, Illmatic, Stillmatic. For me, Still, I actually like Stillmatic more than I than I like Illmatic in some ways. I, I know that. Oh, you agree? Okay, I thought I was going to get roasted for that. Uh, I Stillmatic I really Nas's best album in my opinion. I agree with you, Lupe. Um, he's actually a huge Nas fan. He it was written was his favorite album to me. To me, it was written Nostradamus, Streets Disciple. A lot of those albums, Nas never had a lapse in his technical skill. You listen to songs on, um. On Streets Disciple, even, which I don't think was a very strong album. Nas never dips in terms of quality, but his production doesn't hold him up the same way. And I think the best, the most redeeming part of Stillmatic, and the reason that it is my favorite uh, Nas album, is because the production is very lush. And I think it's his best produced album. Even with Kanye West producing some of Hip Hop is Dead, I still think Stillmatic is a better produced album through and through. And it does hold Nas to a higher standard. And I think to a certain degree, that's what Jay-Z actually benefited from by having artists like Just Blaze, sorry, having producers like Just Blaze, Kanye of all people, and and every and everybody else that was filtered into the Rockefeller Prime days. Like Jay-Z had was a benefactor of great production for a long time. Without great production, I don't think Blueprint is as good of an album as we make it out to be. I don't think that some of his other records are nearly as as, as good as, as we make them out to be. Imagine if Nas had had a producer like Just Blaze or Kanye backing him from the beginning. I think we'd have a very, very different trajectory in terms of the quality of albums that we've heard from those two artists. So, but Nas wasn't after hip hop is dead. Nas isn't making music for the radio. He's making music for his his uh, fan base and those who want to hear poetry. It wasn't really about the production. Like where Jay, it's about I gotta give. Like it's almost like when you hear Drake talk about making an album. It's like I gotta give guys something to get hyped for the game for. I gotta give something to play in the club. I gotta something for your mom at the cookout. Like, <laughs> like at the end of the day, they they made music differently, and I feel like. I this is I I'm gonna harken you back to the text message I sent you after I kind of got back into it is what made Lupe 
what made Lupe make it and J. Cole not. Because even J. Cole, that first album, very much label-driven, even to the point where on the second album he came out and said, I let Nas down. But when it comes to even before he got signed, we still loved his mixtapes because the lyrical prowess. So what, like, if that was the case over here, what is it? Why doesn't that apply to, I guess, other rappers that have technical skill, haven't lapsed in technical skill, and the production hasn't always been there, but they still hit. So for me, J. Cole, I think, is a perfect example. So let's take Sideline Story, heavily influenced by the label that he signed with. Cole still retains a significant amount of production credit on his first album. So I think when a label imposes on you a certain sound that it wants you to create or it puts you in a box to a certain degree, Cole still produced his album. So I think he still had, maybe he had frustrations with what the label was asking him to do. Maybe there was some disconnect between what he envisioned for his album versus what the the, the label did. But there is no song on sideline story that makes me feel as though rock nation or whoever really was it under def jam i think it was released uh rock nation have, columbia sony yeah it might have been it's sorry you what did you say uh rock nation columbia and sony so it was a joint venture ah uh, okay the only song on that album that i could that i could conceivably think is something that was pushed upon him would have been can't get enough or workout plan but i still think that that Cole goes into that album with guidance that he didn't necessarily agree with, with, but he was still responsible for what that sounded like, even if it wasn't the sound that he agreed upon. With Lupe, I think when you have a label pushing songs on you and they're they're templated and they're created so that you contribute three verses to a hook and a beat that are already made and you're pushed and and you're threatened essentially that your album will not come out unless you put some of these songs on your album, I think that imposition is significantly different than than what was imposed upon J. Cole or really any other artist that was on a major label at that time. Even guys like Little Brother who were under Atlantic, if I think about The Minstrel Show, which came out not that far removed from, from Lupe Fiasco's albums, they gave them everything that they wanted um, to be able to do. They didn't ask them to feature any other artist. Obviously, it was a commercial flop in a lot of ways. It's an astounding album, but it was a commercial flop. I think Atlantic investing in artists that took their own music, musicality, their instrumentation, their whole production and their ideas and tried to to, to make that mainstream and failed potentially are responsible to a certain degree for Lupe Fiasco being almost like a scapegoat to say, well, you know, when we've left creative work up to our artists before, when we try to push the mainstream, they've fallen on their face. So what we're going to try to do is a different approach here. We're going to give you what's working with an artist like B.O.B. And we're going to hope that it kind of, you know, sticks to the mainstream in the same way that it did with other artists. And I just don't think Lupe was ever that artist that was going to work at that level because what they had asked them to do wasn't his strength. That's that's my take on it, and I understand that that's subject to 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 criticism or, or, or potentially being incorrect. But for me, Cole is like Cole produced so much of his first album, so he still had control about what that album sounded like. Yeah. No, that that is true. That I I, for, I I tend to forget how much like Cole wanted to be a the a Kanye in his own right, where he wanted to yeah. and rap to the point where I, I think it was after it was around. Uh, 2014 for us, he'll drive. They're kind of like, all right, just chill on the producing. We'll we'll take care of it and make sure you got good folks around you. Like, just focus on the rap. And I think it has worked out for him. 
um, unlike some others. So, Cole, I think, okay, so looking at first album two, he produced all but four songs on a 16-song project. And the people that produced for him were not Alex the Kid. He got no ID. And he had Kanai Finch, who had worked with Cole previously, and Cole co-produced Dollar in a Dream 3. So truthfully, there's only two songs on this album that were not produced by Cole. Can't Get Enough and uh, In the Morning. And outside of that, everything else is Cole production. Well... (laughs) Just like well, it's it's still overseen by the the good folks at Rock Nation, which uh, unless you ask, I guess, for f- artists that were potentially signed to Def Jam or whatever beforehand, they they've all like when late when Jay Z's kind of the head of whatever music division that you're signed to, they usually do right by the artists. I haven't really heard any of those out any of those uh, labels really let their artists down in those in that sense. Like, but we have seen. Atlantic, I guess, mishandle a few uh, hip hop folks over the years. Yeah, I think I think it is. I think I think this album is a big commentary on Atlantic, and and maybe part of that is also my disdain for them for doing what they did to Little Brother and just basically throwing them out when Minstrel Show didn't work out the way that they wanted them to, and they refused to get behind that project because it wasn't selling. But um, I also think that there's a there's a pretty significant difference when you hand the reins of production over to flash in the pan producers so to speak like alex the kid that we haven't heard from in a long time um versus other artists that you know even when cole wasn't producing his own music he was getting produced by you know jake one and 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 no id and and art and producers that may have not been cole but are still elite in their own right no id is not is not a name that you scoff at when you hear his production right he's been around for 30 years now i guess 25 30 years now and to have him be the person that stands in as a producer on a song that you don't produce versus again, I don't want to take away from those, those producers, but guys that were really, you know, relevant for two or three years for a couple of hits. Like I think it's a, it's a night and day difference in terms of what kind of support you get from that kind of production. Um, so yeah, I mean, we could probably talk about lasers for hours and I'd love to, because I do think that there's so much to unpack here. Um, but I, I mean, it's definitely not his best project, and it's definitely a disappointment um, coming off of two very, very strong albums. I think comparatively, even if you don't love Food and Liquor um, or, or feel that it's a really, really strong piece of work that's lasted a, a longer period of time, I think it's still night and day compared to an album like Lasers, which I listen to Beautiful Lasers sometimes, and I listen till I, to, to, till I get there maybe every so often. But this is an album that I'm going back to very often other than maybe one or two tracks. And really it was just for the purposes of, of, of reacquainting myself for the sake of this podcast, but I'm not really going in, into the library and searching for lasers more than once every two or three years. Facts. hundred uh, percent. So, I mean, lasers after that, this is kind of where I fell off. I just didn't have, you know, I, I didn't really know what the next step was for Lupe Fiasco. Um, the label, Caved in, released the album, wasn't great. Uh, I thought actually there was a longer gap between when Lasers came out and when his next album came out, which was Food and Liquor Part 2, the Great American Rap Album, which was one of the initial titles for Lasers before it was named Lasers. Uh, And the Great American Rap Album didn't really, was another Atlantic record. I think they gave him a little bit more freedom in terms of not only production, but even in terms of um, um, like subject matter. I don't think it's a great album but we do see him coming back and returning with some 
uh, with some names that we're a little bit more familiar with. So 1500 and nothing, which is a group that he had worked with when he was much younger, um, even prior to food and liquor, they appear quite a bit on, on food and liquor part two soundtrack is back and produced one song on this album. We don't see any of the previous producers from lasers again on here. Not even one of them appears on this album. Um, actually, sorry. King David does appear on one song and produces, uh, a, a song featuring an artist I've never heard of Jason Evigan. Uh, and then this is, I mean, I don't think we really have to give this a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, attention because it, it kind of just came and went. I was excited to hear that he was, uh, that he was working on something so quickly after lasers, but other than, um, SLR, which I guess came out in between lasers and this album. And then he had an, a single off this album called battle scars featuring guy Sebastian, which I think charted. There really isn't a lot on this album that, that I can really think of in the way that I can think of songs that appear on different records. I don't know if you guys feel the same, but this was kind of just a forgettable. Didn't realize it came out as long ago as it did. Didn't realize it came out as quickly after lasers as it did. And it just kind of filled, I guess a contract obligation is the only way to really put it. Cause it really doesn't have anything special on here. I don't know how you guys feel about this album. I thought it was just digestible. I listened to it. I thought I was like, Oh, I don't remember this, but for me, it was just more about, Oh, his, his, flow and his lyrical ability remain the same i don't think there's anything that i would take out of this album and be like yeah man that's i would definitely recommend somebody listen to this but i mean you see Bilal in the, on this album Bilal's great uh, <laughs> like that's and you see jane three dollar signs who I, I haven't seen that person since but like for real Bilal is great so i mean there's some Pooh bear on there i don't know lamborghini angels is decent yeah, yeah. Let uh, one of the few artists to let Pooh Bear actually sing on the track and not just write. Yeah, and I, I mean, <laughs> two songs. To be fair, though, like, "Bitch Bad" is is a really powerful song. Yo, that I felt that spoke to the commentary of, I guess, what's pushed as uh, like of women in hip hop and yeah. females today, and drives the narrative and probably he speaks on a lot of the things that drive women crazy today based on i guess years of us and and i when i say us i just mean mass media using that word bitch for two different meanings all at the same time yeah i mean for me this is probably the the hidden you should listen to album for lupe i don't think there's anything independently that i would say is like groundbreaking but I think if if you skipped over this, and chances are, ninety percent of the people listening to this did. Um, I would just go back and, and listen to it. it. It deserves a listen, and there's a lot of really good messaging in this album. Really powerful stuff that I think is relevant to right now uh, on this album. Even the cover, like it's just it, there's no art on the cover. So with everybody over the course of the last week posting you know, blackout tiles. I think Lupe actually posted the cover of the, of the great American rap album part two. It doesn't have anything on it. It just has a parental advisory sticker in the bottom right corner. And that's something that he wanted to, I think he had fought the, the label pretty hard on making sure that there was no art for this album because of the statement that he wanted to make. So again, talking about Lupe being a little bit of a prophet in some ways, uh, this album kind of, especially in the art direction really does kind of reflect that a little bit more. I would, I would say for me that with that take of, Lupe being a, a a prophet in a way, that's where that take came from, from listening to this album and just really like, yeah, there is no standout track that I'm just gonna, I'm gonna ever gonna go back to, 
but I will definitely listen to this thing as a whole body of work. It, I think it does. It speaks to Lupe the artist, and I think it's true to him and what you may have fallen in love with when you first heard those first two albums. Is it as is it as good? No, because the production there's something to be desired. But you get. You get some of the best Lupe in terms of the bars, lyricism. This, I would say, this is his lyricism in his prime. Like, because after this, you start to see him conform to the sound of music during the years that his next three albums were released. He, um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to talking about Bitch Bad for a second because. The impact of the song, the the subject matter of the song, Lupe is incredibly intelligent, and I think the way he tackles these topics, he usually does so in a very, very creative way. Um, Bitch Bad to me, like this kind of um, represents that that idea that Lupe, I don't want to say he becomes more preachy. Like the message here is strong, and it's a song that I would listen to. But if I think about Bitch Bad and I compare it to a song like Dumb It Down, which has a similar message about you know not. I'm not a similar message, but a powerful message as well, which is about dumbing down himself for media consumption and what his fans are telling him to do and what his label is telling him to do. And he, he approaches that song in such a creative way where he's speaking in metaphors and he's um, like, he's just very cerebral about the way that he, ta- that he tackles his bars and his verses in that song in bitch bad. Like he, it almost feels like a lecture. Like, I, I don't want to say that it's a, it's a, it's a bad song. Cause it has a significant thing that, that you should definitely listen to. But there are parts of this song where it does feel like Lupe is just preaching or lecturing you about something that's happening. And, and I think it's in the third verse where he doesn't even like, there's not really a flow to it. Like he's kind of just like speaking on beat, but it almost sounds like a spoken word song rather than an actual like rap performance in the way that we've seen some of his stronger, songs that have a message still are you know musical and still have a flow and are a little bit tighter this kind of lets that go a little bit it might be tough to have worked that into the topic that he was trying to address but this is one of those songs where like i really do look at it and think you know lupe as a performer could have done better but the message itself holds true and is significant and whether you know it's the most digestible song or not is kind of besides the point because the point needs to be made but it's just because i've seen him do um, I've seen him do something similar with songs like Dumb It Down in the past and even Hurt Me Soul to a certain degree where he speaks on pretty pretty heavy topics um, but but puts a different spin on them where they don't seem so preachy. He just seems like he's kind of educating. And this, I don't know, it just it, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel Lupe is at his best when it comes to presentation and, and I guess performance. But it's hard to kind of guilt a guy when he's trying to, uh, you know, give a, a positive message or at least illuminate something that is a little bit of a double standard. It just, I don't know. I don't feel right criticizing it, but at the same time, I'm like, Lupe, I know that you could do better as a performer on this song. So that's kind of my, I don't know. I'm on the fence with that take. Cause I feel like I can get ripped a new one for that, but in the same token, like that's, that's, that's just how I feel about the song to be, to be honest. No, I, I, I could, I could see both sides. I, I could see it as, like hey, it, it I feel it is a good song, but I could I could see how folks could feel that it is preachy because it is it's and it's almost preachy to the point of it's uncomfortable because he's highlighting something that I guess like the world doesn't really take heed to, but it's right in our face, and that's I guess kind of what I liked about it, and the reason why I would say that 
I would probably say this is probably prime Lupe in terms of being able, being able to deliver a message in a way is just because you, I feel like, yeah, as a conscious rap album, if you go back and listen to a lot of conscious rap albums, in terms of just being able to palate, palatability, I just feel like this is probably one of the more palatable conscious albums, even though it's not that popular. I think if you go back to, like, I'm a big fan of Talib. But there's some Talib albums that weren't as palatable as something like this, where yeah. it is message heavy. Like the music, it's more than just entertainment for these guys. And that's what it felt like with this. It was, I get to do something that is more than entertainment. And I think the label's going to just let me do my thing because of what happened with Lasers. And that's why I felt it probably came out so quick, because he probably used a lot of concepts from probably what he wanted to use the year prior. Yeah, I think subject matter wise, like we do, you know, to your point, Kyle, like this is a lot more Lupe Fiasco and it, yeah, it's not, it's not an album that, um, that seems like it just came out. Like he wrote all the songs within a short period of time from lasers. There probably is a lot on here. Lamborghini angels. I actually really enjoy off this album that, that song came out not too short, not too long after, uh, lasers, if I'm not mistaken, and SLR. I think he had a couple of mixtapes in between. We kind of grazed over them. We'll talk about them on the deep dive. But he had a couple of mixtapes that all mixtapes that also came out in between lasers and this album. So you could see Lupe getting back into that um, into that category of conscious rap. Um, and yeah, I, I think it is a more palatable album. And I, I think it's a really really good point to bring up Talib Kweli because. Talib Kweli does sometimes straddle that line of being a little bit too preachy, and you know the the, the subject matter. When you talk about bitch bad, like I, I think I'm entirely comfortable with what that that subject matter is. At least for me, that's not the part that makes me uncomfortable with the song. It's just certain ways that he's delivered a certain line, or maybe it doesn't have that tightness that I that that Lupe Fiasco has had on some of his more conscious songs. And that's kind of what what undid it for me in some ways. But the message is powerful. The song is powerful. It's important to listen to. If there is one song on this album to listen to, I think it is. I think it is bitch bad or or or. Uh, potentially battle scars to a certain extent too being being a, a single shane thoughts i know that you shared it kind of at the beginning but any any uh any thoughts on anything that we've talked about before we wrap up with uh food and liquor part two uh well he calls it the great american rap album part one so i'm uh, guessing we're gonna expect food and liquor part two the great american rap album part two uh, and we'll see what that's like when that comes out. But again, I would say that this is this is definitely an album that people out there skipped over that you should go back and listen to. Uh, especially now, I think this is again if we want to if we want to continue the narrative of him being a prophet in a certain way, uh, th- this is the the proof in the pudding on a lot of what what he's rapping about is still uh, super relevant right now. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned uh, by by people like myself, white people listening to this album and trying to gain insight into what other people's experiences are like and understand that. So use your time and educate yourself. And yep. if you don't if you don't listen to the album, at least take in Bitch Bad because it is a inter- a very interesting take on how we use bitch in the modern day. It's and even I guess with females in hip hop now kind of taking it and making it something to be proud of, it's gonna be interesting to kind of see how that translates uh for I guess certain folks later on in their life when they're called that in not a positive light. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely 
it is such an interesting interesting viewpoint and it's reminiscent i think of like dumb it down of that time where you make a song about like contradicting the hip-hop industry and, and rap in general and what lyrics should consist of to make a song that fits an album and he does it again here with bitch bad where it's a critical take on the use of the word in hip-hop and the connotation on both sides of it and how that can affect you know women and and men and all that jazz i think it's a really interesting take so i definitely recommend that people go out there and listen to it he also just very quickly um i think it's it's also super important to listen to that song coming out of this album because it's not the first time that Lupe Fiasco uh, tackles this topic. He does it very, very briefly on Food and Liquor. Um, and he says, I think it's in the second verse. I'm going to try to find the uh, the lyric here. Uh, I used to hate hip hop because the women degraded, but too short made me laugh like a hypocrite. I played it. A hypocrite I stated, though I only recited half, omitting the word bitch. Cursing I wouldn't say it. Me and dog couldn't relate till a bitch I dated. Forgive my favorite word for hers and hers alike, but I learned it from a song I heard and sort of liked. So like that that beginning part, I think that that is the premise for what he did with Bitch Bad, but um, it's really interesting that that he kind of comes back to it after, you know, I think it's five or six years to come back to that concept and really, you know, break it out into a full song. So definitely listen to Bitch Bad um, for all the reasons that Kyle and, and Shane have talked about, but also just to kind of continue the thought of the thought that he first presents, I guess, on the first verse of Hurt Me Soul. Um, so, I mean, at this point in time, we've kind of tackled, I guess, the first era of Lupe Fiasco from here. He takes a pretty significant break. Um, and one last kind of thought on Food and Liquor Part 2. I was just looking at some of the art um, for the album. So the, the album art is blacked out. All of the songs that came out uh, for the album are just images on a black background. So Around My Way, which was the first single, is just the American flag um, presented as a barcode. Um, bitch Bad just had a, a prohibitory sign through the word bitch. Um, Go to Sleep was just a black cover as well. Lamborghini Angels was just a halo on a black background. And then funny enough, the only song that doesn't have an entire uh, black background uh, is Battle Scars, which Guy Sebastian also released as a single, which has him looking at the sky. It's a very Photoshop 2012-esque cover. Uh, but they released two different uh, album covers. They actually released one for Lupe Fiasco's version of the song, which appears on his album, which does have a black background. But the Atlantic-released version of the Guy Sebastian song is a completely different art um, that's presented. So just some food for thought there. Atlantic obviously took liberties with the art, and then Lupe, I think, was probably pretty... Uh, adamant on making sure that it stayed consistent with the theme of the rest in food and like of, of food and liquor part two um so we get a pretty break or we get a pretty big break here from lupe um and then we don't see another album for about three years if there was a point where i feel like i completely disengaged from lupe fiasco it probably was here like going back and listening to tetsuo and youth in 2015 especially given that it came out i think the same week that uh J. Cole's 2014 Forest Hills uh, Drive came out. This album was not the heavy album in rotation that week, given that I think that that's Cole's best album by far. Uh, <laughs> sorry? <That> year at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I might have an argument for that. I have to take a look at what came out in 2015. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put that aside. I'm gonna come back to that and see if there's anything that I can make an argument back. But I, I think you might be right, Kyle. So Pimp a Butterfly came out in 2015. Pimp a Butterfly came out. Currents, Tame Impala's Currents came out. If you're reading this, it's too late. Came out. Dark Sky Paradise Surf came out. Yeah, so you got some pretty Rodeo. albums. Yeah, Darkest Before Dawn. I know Kyle's just sitting there going, "Yeah, it's still uh, it's so cool." <laughs> Mr. Wonderful, <laughs> Action Bronson. It was a good year for music, 2015. Yeah, it was all early, too. Like, I think uh, we saw Lupe. We saw uh, um, Drake came out in February. Free Tipper Butterfly TC. came out in. That was Free Travis TC. Scott's breakout year, too, with yeah, Rodeo. rodeo. Yeah. Birds in the Trap came out that year, right? Oh, Rodeo. Was it, Birds in the was it Rodeo? Rodeo. Okay. rodeo. Yeah. It was a big um, year in hip-hop. But we saw Tetsuo and You. So January 20th, we see Lupe's first album in three years come out um, again under Atlantic Records. Uh, this was, you talked about it a little bit earlier, Shane, but this was the first time I feel that I actually listened to Lupe in probably about five years uh, that felt very much like the cool and food and liquor Lupe fiasco. Interestingly enough, it counters my theory of production being a big part of, of that because uh, soundtrack does not actually appear on um, Tetsu Lone Youth. But I will say that none of the producers that appeared on Lasers appeared on here either. So I'm still gonna <laughs> I'm still gonna maintain that Lasers was as anomaly. But we get some really really great production from S1, who produced Power for Kanye West. He's part of a group called uh, Strange Fruit Project. Um, but his breakout was uh, was Power for Kanye, or at least he kind of provided the skeleton for what became Power for Kanye. Um, and then we see S1. Actually, S1 produced three songs on here. Lupe also has a couple of songs that he produced. And then Von Beats and DJ Dahi. Uh, produce the rest of the record but we do see some names that we haven't seen since the first couple of con uh sorry lupe albums uh in aisha jaco who is lupe fiasco's sister and nikki jean who we haven't heard since uh i guess the cool at this point in time was the last time that we would have heard her but we also get a couple of other features on here we get trey the truth we get uh we get glasses malone on here psychodrama from chicago um and a couple of other artists absol is on here as well so i I really think that Tetsuo and Youth is probably the strongest Lupe Fiasco album outside of his first two albums by quite a bit. I think it's it, it tells a story. I think production-wise, it really does complement Lupe. I think we hear Lupe at his technical best, and, and he's, again, walking that line of being conscientious and conscious but not overly preachy and so we start to hear a lot of of that shine through in songs like mural which is long it's almost nine minutes long which i didn't realize until i listened yeah. to it recently uh, and then dots and lines which was kind of reflecting on his his contracts about you know not signing with a major label and how that can be kind of a detriment to to, to your career at that point in time um, which is ironic because he's still making this album under Atlantic records. Uh, but there, there are a lot of great songs on this album that, um, that are artists that I really enjoy. Terrace Martin is featured on here on a song called body of work. Um, so this, this is probably one of my favorite Lupe fiasco albums outside of the first two. It, it, actually, it is my favorite Lupe fiasco album outside of the first two. I think it's really strong. I think it's right up there. I think if this had book ended the, um, the the cool sorry if this was LUP cool, end yeah if this was LUP end I would have been super super happy with this project um, and it, I, I've actually found myself going back and listening to it two or three times over the course of the last couple of weeks just because I actually feel like I missed it I just didn't 
I listened to Blur My Hands, I listened to Dots and Lines, I listened to Mural, but I never really got into it as much as I feel that I could have. And now that I've kind of had a second window of Lupe Fiasco, I really do enjoy this album. And I would I would put it right up there with the cool and food and liquor. Um, but that's my take on it. I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. Obviously, it doesn't have the same background as some of his other albums that we've been talking about, but thoughts listening to it for the first time or thoughts listening to it for the first time in, in quite some time. I think for me, I like I said before, this album I listened to when I came out, it was my reintroduction to Lupe and, and you know, I completely skipped um Food and Liquor too. Uh but this this album I did spend some time with and really enjoyed uh and thought, man, Lupe is back and that was kind of the sentiment that I carried with this. Uh and then once we touch on his next one is when I was like, Oh well maybe not. Um but going back and listening to this album i think i do think it is the this should have been lup end um and it, it is likely i feel like the album that he wanted to make back at that time obviously i can't speak for him and that's probably way off but i think when you have an album that has you know four or five songs it has three songs that are over not or eight minutes long and it has a song that is nine minutes and 32 seconds, a song that is six minutes and 32 seconds, a song that's eight minutes and 48 seconds. Like these are long songs that he's putting on this album and it still plays through great. I think Chopper is an amazing song and it's nine minutes and 32 seconds. I also think Madonna is a great song and like, this again, I know earlier I talked about the cool and I said how you see like his future collaborators really on the cool. But on this album, you see Nicky Jean on like six or seven songs. And if you actually look Nicky Jean up on Apple Music, her top tracks are all Lupe Fiasco songs. This person literally built a career off featuring on Lupe. And I think it works perfectly. And going back now with an appreciation for Terrace Martin, and hearing the Terrace Martin song and hearing his sax solo at the end, like I really do enjoy this album. I do think it's a great album. Also, we get Absol on the album and I do like Absol. So that was nice as well. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a good song. This is a good album. It is a, it is a good Lupe Fiasco album. Again, I don't think he's trying to play into a box here, which I think works to his benefit. And I think it's the worst, uh, the worst thing that come from Lupe is when he does try and work into a box. For I, I totally agree um, with Shane, and I think with this, it's with. I honestly think it's probably the Lupe at his most comfortable. I have not like with the cool. You, I felt like it was a guy who's trying to live up to the hype of that first album and how well that first album did, and I think he very much accomplished that goal and probably even overstepped it and probably put him on a pedestal that was a little high to keep up with, but when I got to this album and I didn't listen to this album at all before um, going back through his music, I actually kind of skipped right over it because hey, you guys, you guys just named all the albums that came out that year. I, I saw, I saw the Lupe album and I said, no, thank you. And I'm very disappointed in self because I very much enjoyed this album. Didn't, didn't, didn't feel the need to skip at all. I was very much engaged. I'm definitely going to go back and, um, yeah, it, it felt like a guy who who was made to do this and was very comfortable at doing exactly what, like, doing his job. 